I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Yes or no, did you ever take banned substances to enhance your cycling performance? Yes. I had no prior knowledge of the planned assault on Nancy Kerrigan. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior I engaged in. It's Oops, the podcast. I'm Francis. He's Julio. Welcome to the show. G, how are you, my friend? Good, dude. How you doing? Good. I have a question for you right off the bat. Love it. Let's hear it. How much do you pronounce the N in badminton? <laughs> I've never pronounced the N in badminton. So you I say badminton as though you are referring to a pair of naughty gloves. <laughs> Correct. That is what I do. I say okay. badminton. I think there's three ways to go about this. You could just <laughs> say badminton as if it were rhyming with bad kitten. No N whatsoever. Badminton, right? That's your way. Then there's the total acknowledgement of the N. Badminton. Like there's a badminton on the railing or there's a badminton on the table. Badminton. Which I would argue, I would argue to avoid option two at all costs just for yeah, the I sake don't of think, your social life. I think you'd have to be some kind of asshole to say that. And then there's the middle ground, which is knowing it's there and just giving it a little kiss, a little tiny head bob acknowledgement, badminton. You almost Pretty can't hear it, but it, it is there. Badminton. I, did I even do it? Yeah, you're just, you're just sticking with your bad, bad glove situation. Oh, all right. The key is to not hit the tee. Badminton. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. See, it's tougher than you I think, can't isn't do it? it? Can you do it again? I say badminton. Wow, dude. Badminton. Badminton. It's That's pretty close, cool. man. It's, badminton. You got to just tip your cap to that end. You got to say, I know you're there. <laughs> I recognize you. I respect you, but I need to move on. I love the con- contributions we're making, dude. This is great. Yes. None of our listeners will ever be able to say badminton without going into some crisis ever it's again. It's a troubling word. It's a head spinner for sure. Um, the reason I bring this up is that I played badminton on the weekend. I played it on, sa- on Friday, actually. How was it? It is fun. It's a good game. I hadn't played it since gym class when I hated it because it just seemed like shitty tennis. (laughs) And it's fun. We played, you know, mixed doubles. Uh, I had a black partner. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I didn't didn't do it. I didn't do it that way. Um, Can't do that these days. Uh, (laughs) No, I I had my, my girlfriend and me versus our neighbors, this couple that we're friends with, and they had set up a badminton net, and we played against them. And let me tell you something. Um, I had so many expectations going into the first game. In what First sense? of all, I thought my girlfriend was going to be really bad. <laughs> and I thought it was going to hurt our relationship, but she was <laughs> much better than I thought she was. In That's fact, great. I think I probably lost us more points than she did. Wow. So don't judge a book by its cover. Um, <laughs> so and it then strengthen this- the relationship. Well, 
it left me with some nagging self-doubt. Mm. Uh, and that's not good for us either. Nope. But <laughs> I think it's better for us to come back from that than from me being furious that she's not good enough. <laughs> yeah. So, so that was the first assumption. And then the second assumption was I just assumed that the couple we were playing against was not going to be as good as we were or as that we would be. And they had told us they'd been playing and practicing for like a month. And mm -hmm. so they play all the time. And I knew they thought they were very good. Mm. But given my athletic pedigree, my history of racket sports, the fact that my girlfriend is currently taking tennis lessons, I thought we could beat them cold. Mm -hmm. Having come into the game, and, and, and then it was going to be awkward, right? Because for us to come to their place and show them up in a game that they care a lot about and have been practicing, it would be a bad look if we whooped their asses, right? Definitely. They beat us. Ooh, wow. But they beat us like 21-18. Okay. And I thought, okay, now we can try. Now we can really let right. loose. Right. And we played another game. And they beat us in that one. And oh, that's yeah. when I got angry. And it was close score again or no? Yeah, it was like 21-17 or something. Mm -hmm. Dude, yeah. I was not as good as I should have been. You just didn't play the big points well, man. You know, I was high. And <laughs> um, that birdie, it changes speeds really quickly. Outdoor it, badminton too, dude. It comes at you like a bullet and then stops because it fans out right i just couldn't catch up to it i i didn't have the depth perception or the the wherewithal to to see it and so now we need to train <laughs> yeah did you i was gonna say did you guys have a team meeting when you got home you know we certainly didn't have sex that's for sure <laughs> we certainly didn't reward ourselves <laughs> things were frosty the next day Look and dude, look what your life is now, man. Isn't that crazy? Isn't so so crazy? Like it you're is. concerned about couples badminton. Like literally, you wouldn't have ever picked up a badminton racket again if the pandemic never happened. I agree. I agree. <laughs> Silver lining or not, hard to say. I find games so fun and necessary. I find games really important right now. Yeah. Um, whether it's board games or drinking games or going in, you know, when you with another, I, cause nobody has anything to talk about. Right. So if we're going to meet another couple for a night of hanging out, like there's only so many times that we can say like these strange times, like these are weird <laughs> times, you know, or, or like, what's your plan for the future? You can only fucking ask that and dance around your uncertainty for so long before you just hate that you are doing this. Right, right. You can only talk about Dr. Fauci so many times in conversations. Exactly, exactly. Totally, dude, totally. All right, so that's my rant and segment for, for the start of the podcast. That's dude, what I had to talk about. I thought that that was a really great opening segment, man. Thanks, I thought, dude. I thought it really played to your strengths and your personality as far as comedy is <laughs> concerned. Grammar and competition right out of the gate, dude. Just uh -huh. like really solid stuff, man. Yeah, thanks. Really thanks. Brand. Well, let me ask you this, Julio, <laughs> before we move on. Um, do you ever compete with your girlfriend 
against another couple in some sort of thing. Dude, the only time we ever have was when we were playing on the putting green with you and your girlfriend, and we lost. Whoa. That was the only time? I believe. Ah, have we ever? We maybe played beer pong also. Yeah, yeah. And I will say this. Typically, playing with my girlfriend makes me de-escalate because I don't want to be that guy. No. Who, like, no. It's, it's not worth it. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not not competitive, but, like... I'm not, she thinks I'm really competitive. I'm not. I'd rather just like have a nice time with the group than like. I think that's, I think that's absolutely the right mentality. Um, And I think that it, you're afforded that luxury of not taking it seriously when you're playing sports or doing activities that are not things that you're an expert at. Totally. Totally. So, Here's the thing. If you were to play doubles tennis with your girlfriend against another couple yeah, where you knew that you were far superior to the other two players, but they just started hitting the ball to your girlfriend because they knew <laughs> that was a good strategy to win right. the game, right. how would you handle that? Okay, so it's funny that you asked this. So being a tennis pro, and, and for those who don't know, tennis pro, quote unquote, I'm referring to being a tennis teaching pro. Yeah. I didn't play any significant professional tennis. I played a couple of tournaments. Anyway, um, you kind of figure out a way that you can keep it close without being an asshole and crushing the other team and then end up winning in the end by just enough. You think so, you can manipulate it that carefully? Even in doubles? Yeah. So there's ways to do it. So, for example, uh, like when you're returning, you have to make sure you're winning those points. You don't have to start crushing the ball at them, but maybe like hit the ball at their feet when they're at the net so it's hard for them, you know. Or you hit a kick serve that isn't that hard, but there's a lot of spin on it, which inexperienced players will call English. Yeah, they will. put a lot of English on that one. Yeah, a little, Um, little mustard, yeah. Now, of course, there you do run the risk of losing the match if they just keep pounding at your girlfriend. But that's also they, they keep pounding your girlfriend, dude. You're gonna lose, bro. <laughs> but I think that it's not worth it to turn it up in that situation because yeah. I'm so obviously the superior player that I just become a bully and an asshole. So I'd rather lose than do that. Well, that's noble of you. That is. I also love the image of two boyfriends just pounding the ball down each other's girlfriend's throats <laughs> as their girlfriends are like daintily dressed in tennis visors and fun you know uh lily pullets <laughs> or skirts out for a fun day at the courts and here are you know you're knocking kick serves that are bouncing over their heads. dude that's hilarious like, oh, dude, it's funny. I actually played, uh, one of my ex-girlfriends had a tennis court at her house, a grass tennis court. It was sick. Whoa. Um, and we, uh, I played with my girlfriend at the time versus her dad and her stepmom. And her stepmom was pretty good. Her stepmom was actually formerly married to a professional tennis player. And her kids are professional tennis players with her last Whoa. husband. One of them, at least. He's, he's like, he won matches in Monte Carlo. Like, he's a professional tennis player. He's nasty. Jesus. Okay. Um, and we played them. So the mom was pretty good. And she was ripping balls at my then girlfriend at the net to the point where she stopped and was like, D, what the fuck? 
And then it became this awkward moment where everybody was like, and we ended up losing. So. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think parents, it's a whole different uh, dynamic where, you yeah, know, yeah. If, you're, if it's your girlfriend's dad, you're not sure. We've talked about this, but whether That's or not true. you should somehow lose the match, you know, yeah. hoping for a, a favorable uh, prenup arrangement. <laughs> <laughs> lay the foundation um okay um that's interesting that's a really interesting way that you know you would be able to to control the game so much that you could do that dude badminton's fun i'm telling you it's a yeah. fun game i enjoyed it for sure it's a good game all right Absolutely. what do you got what's up with what's up in your life so first of all i have a question how do how do i look to you do i look the same do i look all right yeah you look this, you know, from this screen and when I saw you in New York, you look the same to me. Okay, that's good. That's good news. So yeah. I've been, you know, obviously the past, uh, you know, couple months I've been bouncing around a lot. But before that, I was in the same house on Long Island for like three months. Okay. And I was being healthy. I was trying to like work out, whatever. It like ended up not doing anything. Like, I don't know. I couldn't like figure out the whole lifting and eating a lot, a lot. Like it just didn't work. Um, but I then left for a couple months and I just got back here two days ago and I step out of the car. Okay. And one of the like, guys who works at the house, he's like, does uh, maintenance and, and landscaping and stuff. He, he's, he's a Spanish guy. He doesn't really speak English that well. And he goes, Oh, puppy. And he makes this gesture at me. The like, I have expanded gesture. Oh, puppy. <laughs> and I thought, you know, there's a chance he means I just look strong. So I did this. I went, Oh, ho, ho. I did the flexing motion. And he goes, no, Papi. And then he starts going. Which he's doing the shoveling food into his mouth motion. And I'm like, are you serious? I'm like, is that an acceptable behavior? Like, is, is this a cultural thing? But dude, it shattered me. Like my day yesterday was shattered. That I have just been, the, I'm the guy who put on weight in quarantine. Yeah, that's the, that's the moment where you walk inside and immediately ask about his immigration status. <laughs> Oh yeah, yo! You think I've been eating too much? Oh yeah. Yeah, you just go call, put a quick call into ICE. Yeah, how's Honduras this time of year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fat while you're leaving. Did say, Chris? Do not clip this, Chris, because if anybody hears this segment, then everyone will just be convinced I'm fat for the next eighteen months. Like I don't need <laughs> this preceding me. Like I have enough time still. <laughs> I knew I knew you wanted to do that. I have enough time still where I can completely turn my body around before I have to see anybody. That's the good news. Dude, I, I it's funny, it's so strange because I feel like you know, your friends are usually a good barometer of whether or not you've gained weight. Like they'll be honest with you. Mm -hmm. And I certainly didn't think that you looked like you'd gained weight. I appreciate but I guess, and, and, and let me ask you, are you somebody who puts on weight quickly, meaning in the two or three weeks that it's been since I saw you in person, could you have ballooned since then? It's possible, but this is the thing. When I gain weight, I, I tend to gain it like kind of sneakily. Like I can, I can put on 15 pounds and like it doesn't necessarily show because mm. it's like in my thighs. Like I gain weight like a woman sort of, dude. It's yeah. like- you know, thighs and my ass and fucking, you know, shit like that. So it, it's embarrassing to even talk about. But I've had big, big swings in my life mm -hmm. of like, yeah. I'm not even kidding, of in like a 50-pound range. Jesus. 
Yeah, which is crazy. That's so really dramatic. But dude, I'm gonna have to be in a situation where I have my shirt off in like late August. I have three weeks, which I believe three weeks is enough time with discipline to make a noticeable change in your body. Do you agree? Dude, with you that? can make you can make a really dramatic change in two days if you just don't drink water. Oh right, 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 right. Don't drink if you. I'm not kidding you. Like the most ripped that you get is when you. I find when you drink a bunch of booze and I'm talking liquor and then the next morning you go straight to the beach without having water or a coffee or anything because that booze dehydrates you and just takes out all the bloating or whatever and your veins start to pop. I mean, you could, you can fake it if you really need to. Okay. Well, that's, that's inspiring news. Um, there was a do you, do you remember ronnie coleman no who's that Ro- ronnie coleman was mr olympia you know nine oh, times in a row that? or something he's that guy that would be like lightweight yeah uh, lightweight lightweight everybody want to be a bodybuilder but nobody want to lift the weights That's that hilarious. yeah you it, it, there's a there's a documentary about about him on netflix it's not that good um <laughs> but he said that when he was early on in his you know male bodybuilding and posing career that one night another guy told him to drink three or four cups of vodka because they had a thing the next day and it was the first contest he won Uh and he started doing that as a way of like last minute toning wow interesting interesting i've heard something similar to that yeah I don't know. I want to. I want to challenge you know anybody listening to the podcast um, to go on this like three week journey with me of trying to get your shit together with your body. And that doesn't mean you have to like change the way your body looks, but like set yourself in the right direction. You know, lose mm. five pounds, whatever. Anybody who's like gained weight during quarantine, apparently, I am one of the weak minded, weak willed individuals. Um, you know, it's not the end of the world. <laughs> it's not. And at some point, we may actually do a real weight loss challenge. Because I know uh, Chris has talked about it, and we will come up hopefully with a prize of some kind to incentivize people. Um, and I'll just watch, you know, because I don't need to lose any weight. Um, <laughs> let me so ask good. you this: <laughs> what is what is this event in three weeks? You said I have to, I have to take my shirt off a lot in three weeks. What the <laughs> hell is that? <laughs> That's funny, dude. Um, okay, so up for? this is, I have like some stuff I have to do over the next couple of weeks. Like I have work, you know I mean? I'm like busy sort of. Um, and then August, on, on the end of August, we're going, Hillary and I, my girlfriend, are going to stay with our friends in Colorado. And they have like a, a house and like, so Hillary's uh, friend that we're staying with, her boyfriend is like super ripped. Like, oh, no. he's a great guy. And like, I don't necessarily, I'm not going to be as ripped as him, obviously. But I don't want to feel like the kid who needs to wear his t-shirt in the pool also. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'd like to be able to feel confident taking my shirt off. Yeah, dude. I, you know, it's so funny. This makes me think of sometimes I'll stumble upon a threesome porn scene where the two <laughs> guys approach the girl and, you know, it's for the blowjob start and they both pull out their penises and one has a much bigger penis than the other. How do you finish that scene? How do you stay 
with the game face. It's so apparent. I don't know. Dude, this is what, this is what I think. Penis size is so much about perspective in a lot of ways, like in so many ways. I mean, first of all, you being a penis bearing man, you know that even the state of your own penis, the size changes drastically Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. limpest to hardest. It's like, there's no comparison. It's like childhood versus adulthood or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I think that like, if you just act like yours is as big as the other guys, like that'll go farther than you think in that mm-hmm. situation. Mm-hmm. If you yeah. find yourself in a threesome with a guy who's just crushing you with the size, just start right. acting confident. Start puffing <laughs> that chest out. <laughs> you never see those guys talking shit to each other. That would be funny. That would be funny. If you had one guy and they were in a threesome and he was just saying like, look, I know your dick's better, but uh, I'm actually getting paid more for this scene or something. <laughs> You know, like like talking. That would be funny, dude, to just watch them humiliate each other. Dude, that's, he's like, what are you looking at, dude? He's like, mine isn't small. Yours is just huge, okay? <laughs> the guy's like. Those, those guys never interact with each other. They never do. That's and true. And in yeah. the rare moments where they do, it's strange. Yeah, it is strange. Really strange. Dude, you know what I wonder about that? Like, have you ever seen one of those scenes where there's a bunch of other people in the scene who are, like, watching? For mm-hmm. example, like the female bachelorette party where the oh, male yeah. stripper comes in and someone ends up having sex with them or like the college dorm room where like yep. mm-hmm. somebody's off camera, like fuck her dude, like, or whatever. Yep. Seen them all. Yep. So, dude, I sometimes look at the background, the quote unquote background actors in the scene. And I'm like, how on earth did this person get roped into this? Like this person isn't a porn. It doesn't do porn. It's very, no. to me. How do they, yeah. do you think they pay them 50 bucks or something? Like how do they yeah, get to be an extra? I mean, it's a good question. I wonder if they're just pulling in people who are part of the production team and saying, Hey, would you mind, you know, wearing a Kappa Theta Tau shirt today <laughs> and pretending like you're part of an organization? Um, because what you do realize is that those people, those people would never survive on Broadway right? Because the thing about theater acting is that even if you're not part of the dialogue that's happening, you still have to act. Yes. Right. You still have to act, even if the focus of the uh, action is not on you and none of them commit to it. And it's, it's embarrassing. <laughs> Guys, this is funny though. I mean, if you are watching, ever watch a TV show when it comes to background actors, if you really just look at them, you're like, whoa. You know what I mean? Like, they really look like background actors yeah. a lot of the time. Not to be no, – no offense to anybody who's a background actor. But a lot of the time, you're kind of just like, this person doesn't fit this scene at all. Right, right. You know what I mean? If you really look, you'd be like, what? And, mm-hmm. it, and a lot of the times, like a lot of the people, I've done it once or twice. Um, and it's really funny how they really have a personality type too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you ever noticed that? Like – they, all, they have this attitude like, they're like, you know, you never know. Like somebody could just see you do one thing and that's it. You're a star. I'm kind of just like, yeah. that doesn't work that way, dude. They'll get pulled up to the big yeah. pond because they held their champagne glass at the 400 person wedding correctly. <laughs> dude, I, I did a commercial. It was the highest paying commercial I had ever had. It was for Humura. Awesome. Uh, the arthritis medicine it never aired but i was i've told you about this i was paid holding checks for four years every 12 weeks oh my god dude i'm in that i'm in that cycle right now too yeah it's awesome and you you get these checks in the mail and they're just they're just crazy amounts of money and it was because it had been 
greenlit for TV, web, and print. Great. So all three avenues of advertising. And then Humura treats so many different symptoms and diseases that the, the whatever it's called, the uh, you know, conflicts list, meaning the number of other commercials that I was not allowed to go out for while I was waiting for this Humura commercial included basically every other pharmaceutical drug, Viagra, Cialis, right. Lipitor, whatever it was. Right. And when that conflict list is super long, they have to jack up your pay scale because in oh, theory, great. they're preventing you from more work. And right. so I was getting 2X SAG scale on all these holding checks. Is, is that because it was such a wide range? or yes. because Yeah, because crazy. my conflict list was so long. You know, like when you do a Pepsi commercial, I don't think you're allowed to do commercials Beverages. for other sodas. Yeah. Whereas with... Humura, it was like every drug in the marketplace I couldn't wow. do ads for. How do you so, know it never aired? I don't know why it never did. I, I always how, looked, how do you know? Because I finally heard from my commercial agent, like when I when the checks stopped coming, one day I emailed and I was like, Hey, have you seen anything? And they were like, Yeah, it didn't it it stopped. They they didn't run it. Wow. Dude, good it was for a you, really man. sad day. Yeah, it is a sad By day. the way, uh of everyone in my life who, when I got fired from Barstool, um, my manager and my agent, immediately I spoke to them. They were like, this is ridiculous. You know, don't worry about it. You're going to be fine. We're with you. The only person in my life who gave up on me was my stupid commercial agent. Really? Yeah. Because of, because of that? Yeah. Wow. That's and crazy. I'll never, I, I don't really know how to feel about it because, you know, on the one hand, I got a lot of money at a time when I needed it um, from commercials and from the work that, and the auditions that she got me. But at the same time, after I got fired, it's not as if I, like, if they had said, listen, you know, we love you. We loved working with you. But unfortunately, based on the negative press about you, uh, we don't think we're going to be able to get you much work anymore. And, and unfortunately we're going to drop you. I would have said totally. I understand. Right. Absolutely. But they kind of like, not only did they drop me, they kind of scolded me. Oh my God. They basically were like, you're toxic. We don't like you go fuck yourself. Oh my God. I'm sorry, dude. That sucks. And I was like, you're a commercial agent who yeah. are you to like levy this much judgment i get that i fucked up i owned it like my life is kind of in shambles right now i don't know i i, I guess that's what you get though i i i'm, I'm not the i wouldn't have resented them so much if so many other people hadn't been like dude don't worry about it it's you know you're gonna right. come back from this like and yeah, if yeah. anything it would have been those people that would would have dropped you and not the commercial agent which is why i, I don't obviously it's a better situation that it was it was only the commercial agent but commercials are like a faceless thing if you're doing commercials you're not like hi i'm francis ellis i write about dead people like that's right. not that's never happening you know what i mean so right. like it shouldn't be a factor and you know they're lost man Greener yeah basket. whatever so yeah i mean i'm not you know there i do harbor some ill will towards my former commercial agent but it is what it is. Right, the, point, the point was, I did that Humura commercial, and dude, it was a wedding scene. 
and I was in the wedding party and mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the groom was this sort of nerdy, diminutive guy who was marrying into basically like a CrossFit family. Right. Um, and his wife was purposefully cast as being, you know, six inches, six inches taller than he was. The rest, I was the wife's brother, right? So it was like, it was meant to be our whole family, our whole big family, our rock'em, sock'em, good-looking family was meant to be welcoming this nerdy guy. And we were like picking him up and hugging him on the dance floor of the wedding, tossing him around, beating him up. And all of that was supposed to make his back pain flare right. up for which he would need, you know, this medicine. And meanwhile, we, the 12 principal actors in the family and in the scene, were just going through scene after scene, iteration after iteration of us beating this guy up. <laughs> and every single time, they had to reset the 40 background actors that they had hired for the day to simply walk around the wedding and pretend as if they were talking to each other. Totally. It's crazy. Dude, the, the divide in attention and treatment between the principal actors and the background actors, we were treated as first class passengers and they were treated as stowaways. <laughs> I was just it was that so apparent and so like, it's uncomfortable. Painful. They're like, you go over there. What, the, yeah. what are you doing? Yeah. Background peons reset. Okay. Shut the fuck up and start walking, but don't think you're worth anything. <laughs> that would every all day. We did that for eight hours. Uh, you know, dude, we got yeah. to eat the, the hot food first. Mm-hmm. We had all this, we had hair and makeup people coming in with little fans dabbing <laughs> us away. And you know what, dude, I hate to say it, but when that's happening to you, you're like, Yes, I, I I have earned this. I do deserve that moist towelette. Right, it's like the prison experiment. Yeah, you start like fall. You start believing your role. Exactly, exactly. Dude, that's oh. crazy, man. Um, you got yeah. Speaking of which, guys, if anybody you see that uh, Bud Light commercial that's running right now with the guy on the roof yelling down, that's that's your boy. I love it, it's dude. Hilarious that I'm I'm never like these commercials that I'm in a lot of the time you wouldn't even notice that I'm in it. You know what I mean? Which is like potentially valuable because- You said that. I don't, I don't agree with that. I think you're, giving, you're not giving yourself enough credit. I think you're featured prominently enough in that commercial that I would have recognized you. You think so? Maybe. It was quick, but commercials are quick. They are. They are. They are. You're right. Yeah. But dude, it's always a situation with, and, and as you know, when you do a commercial- all the principal actors make the same amount of money. So for example, even if you're the main guy in the commercial, if you're just some random guy off the side and you were cast as a main guy, you get paid as a main guy. So a lot of the times I'll audition for like the main part and then I don't get it, but they give me some other part, but that like you get the same money for that, which is great. Who cares? Who cares at that point? Um, the only time that's different is if they cast like a star, right. In the role. If there's like like flow, Yeah, right, exactly, a brand spokesperson. Guys, if you're thinking about starting a podcast, fill in the blanks here. If I were in a concert right now, and I said, if you're thinking about starting a podcast, 
I then turned the microphone to all of you sitting in the stadium and you would all yell anchor anchor. And then you'd say, go to anchor.fm to download the software where you could host your very own podcast, see all the best analytics. You could see it in a way that was really user-friendly and nice and not too technical and industry jargony. It's a way that any person can look at it and be like, Ooh, that's pretty. And also it's our podcast. And there's no minimum listenership required to advertise and monetize. So you can immediately have ads when you hit the ground running. It's really exciting, really spectacular. If you want to start your very own podcast, Anchor.fm, download it now. Dude, I got something for you. Hit me. Okay. Have you ever had a fight with your girlfriend where immediately after the fight ended, but before you had resolved things, you discovered that she had done something really nice for you? Let me give you an example. Thank you. My girlfriend and I had a fight. I don't know what it was about. It's my fault, almost certainly. (laughs) And I like walked away in a huff and went upstairs and discovered that she had folded and put away all of my clothes. (laughs) Okay, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. And then you're up there and you're like, well, what the fuck? Yeah. (laughs) Why didn't she tell me she had done that before the fight? Now I'm the (laughs) asshole who was yelling at her because I don't like bread anymore. And, you know, (laughs) meanwhile, she's sitting on this good deed and she knows I'm just going to walk into it like a bomb of shame. (laughs) A a shame landmine. Hilarious. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, definitely. And, but dude, that's really funny because like, she was probably so excited as you're walking up those stairs. She's like, yeah, he'll see. Yeah. He'll fucking see. It's I'm definitely happened before. In it. Yeah. And it makes you feel so like, you're just like, God damn it. You know what I mean? It's like this de-escalation tool that wasn't intended to be one. You know, I'm convinced that girls see it coming. Like they smell a fight coming and then they say quick, a good need, <laughs> a good deed now will make him ashamed later. And then the fight begins. So like, if they're like, they're like, they see, they sense a fight is brewing and they're like, hang on a second. And they'll just run up and like, you know, make your bed or, or <laughs> <laughs> just lay the foundation for you to feel so ashamed and, and guilty later. It's a brilliant move, dude. It is. It definitely is. Yeah. But then it's funny because what I would try to do now, like after having a little experience, I think that I can now separate the two things. So like, I can be like, that was very nice of you for folding my laundry, but fuck you. Oh, I wouldn't be able to do that. What do you do in that situation? I immediately walk back my entire point. (laughs) I realize that nothing I was saying holds any water. That the person I was mad at was, you know, not, not a bad person at all, but that these are me problems and... I should seek help. You know, I need to find a therapist who's in network because right now the reason I'm not seeing my therapist is because my insurance doesn't cover her. And, uh, you know, that's, that's where my mind goes. I get to that point. <laughs> God, that's an incredible 180. I definitely encourage anyone you date to fold your clothes for you. Yeah. Right. Imagine like, imagine you're going to war with your significant other and right in the middle of it, they're like, hang on a second. And they pull a lasagna out of the fucking <laughs> oven. And they're like, keep going. What were you saying? I cooked us dinner. 
you're like, yeah, God yeah, damn yeah. it, no. <laughs> so dude, it's funny because I almost think that a lot of the time, and I've seen friends of mine do this, where like one member of the couple carries most of the weight in a certain department, right? And then there be, there be there, uh, like discussions start about maybe something related to that topic where, you know, the person who isn't doing as much has a strong point, right? Mm -hmm. But then the person who does it all says, oh, well, then why don't you do it? And then they don't make any progress. Oh, you gotta you gotta paint that with an example. I'm I'm okay. a little lost. Sorry, I, I figured that that my my bad. All right, so for example, if uh, I always make the bed, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. I always make the bed. And then my partner is like, you know, I wish you would make the bed like this instead. This makes much more sense. Mm -hmm. My immediate reaction is going to be, I always fucking make the bed. So why don't you fucking do it? And maybe yeah. the point that she made was good. Right. You know what right. I mean? I think that I see that happen a lot. I see couples that I'm friends with, they, they reach this fight and then they can't, like they beat around the bush with like other good points that don't actually help solve the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, it, it brings me to this thought, which is something I've always thought, which is, and I think there was a scene in Sopranos that showcased this, but you know, where I think- Dude, Also the Sopranos. Yeah. Did I say that weird? Sopranos. It was just very like Do you say Sopranos? Yeah. Well, you're Italian, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with you on this one. It must be that. Well, no, I'm just being casual about it. I, I would argue that the way you're saying it is more close to the actual pronunciation. Well, you know what? I don't even want to make the point anymore because <laughs> dude, you've made me self-conscious. <laughs> well, dude, whatever. You're you're pronouncing things well today. So. <laughs> Didn't you? No, Didn't you? Um God, uh, you know, we're, we're Mrs. Soprano. Fuck, why can't I remember her name? Um, I can't remember it either. It's okay. Jesus Christ. Eddie Falco. Eddie Falco's character makes this great... Car uh, Carmela. Carmela. Uh, Carmela, duh. Fuck, yeah. Jesus. Um, where Carmela makes this great dinner, and Tony comes home and eats it, and he's like, this is not very good, and she flips out, you know? And then he can't understand why she's mad. And the defense that I've often heard in those moments is like, do you not want me to be honest? Right. People who are assholes think that by being honest, they are helping the situation. Right. And I would argue right? you're not helping at all. What you're just you being mean. You're just being a dick. Dude, it's you're the equivalent of like criticizing your favorite basketball team. Right. Like you think you can do better? Fucking why don't you get out here and play? Dude, the, the, this, this concept that, me, that criticism is somehow noble because it's honest is something that I don't buy. I agree. Because criticism and honest criticism is welcome when it's welcome. If right. I'm asking for feedback and you are honest, great. I've opened the door for that. It's right. welcome. But if you just prefer criticism and then are surprised that the recipient is not doesn't take it well and then yeah. try to defend it because you think there's you know that tr the truth is right. gonna set you free shut the Keeping fuck up yeah totally dude i hate that i do i do too and i think that's a really good strong point like and a lot of the times these are people that you have relationships with you know they're your friends they're your family like why do you want to make them feel bad? Right. You know what I right. mean? Like if you want to change it, like I'm sure there's things you can do to change it or, you know, maybe you don't have to be as direct, but I think that there's value to like 
making people not feel shitty about themselves. Totally. Totally agree. Totally agree. I want to address the Ellen DeGeneres situation really quickly. Okay. So um, about two months ago, and we talked about this, Julio, and people are not going to believe this story, but I feel like I can talk about it now. Um, I got a phone call from Ellen DeGeneres. Um, and you guys know this story, and so I'm just going to try to tell it quickly. No, no, um, no tell it tell for them. Tell, I, I, don't, I don't mind hearing it again. Okay. Um, when I got fired from Barstool, one of the most prominent people to come to my defense was Andy Lassner, who is... Ellen DeGeneres' executive producer, one of the three. Um, he's known because he often appears on her haunted house segments or her getting surprised by people segments. Funny guy, you know, he's got 500,000 followers on Twitter. He's verified. He retweeted my apology statement after I got fired and said some very nice things about me. He said, I don't know who you are until today, but you sound like a decent person. What happened to this girl is tragic. Uh, life goes on. The mob will come for you. It will pass. I wish you the best. Good luck. Sending love or something. And it was very nice. a very important, uplifting lifeline for me at a time when I thought, as I've said, my world was crumbling. So I always appreciated that. And then he and I DM'd on Twitter a couple times and I thanked him and he said, you know, no problem. Like, good luck. All that. So... A couple months ago, when the early Ellen DeGeneres rumblings started, that she was mean, right? Mm -hmm. Started coming out that she wasn't very nice, not very personable, uh, not good at making direct eye contact, did not want people talking to her, all that. I started writing these joking defense blogs on Bro Bible of Ellen, saying but, like- but Clarify, clarify. You, you were joking, but you were, you were defending her for real. I was defending her for real, but I was going so over the top. Right. Um, I was basically, my, you know, the title of one was, Dear Punk Bitches, Kindly Back the Fuck Off of Ellen DeGeneres. And I thought <laughs> this idea of being very acerbic and very biting in my defense of good-natured, funny Ellen DeGeneres was kind of a, a, an amusing contrast. Um, I wrote these blogs. Andy Lassner DMs me. He says, we've been passing around your blogs. They're so funny. They're helping us, you know, emotionally in this time. Uh, Ellen has read them. They're, they're great. Uh, what's your phone number? I give him my phone number. He tells me that maybe Ellen's going to text me the next day. I'm like, how the fuck am I going to know if Ellen DeGeneres is texting me? It could just be one of her many minions. Right. But whatever, that would be cool. And then the next morning, I got a phone call from an unknown number, and I picked up, and it was Ellen DeGeneres. And we talked for 20 minutes on the phone about how to deal with internet hate. Crazy. And it was one of the most surreal moments of my career. I was, I was giddy. I was short of breath. Um, I, I couldn't believe that this megastar was calling me. She said she really liked my writing. She was very affirming. It was one of the most validating moments of my career. Um, and it was also fascinating. And the reason that I'm saying this story now, because they asked me not to share it, but I think it's important and okay for me to share this now because 
my experience talking to Ellen DeGeneres and talking to Andy Lassner, her executive producer, was very positive. Yeah. Was an extremely positive experience. And maybe that's obvious. Mm-hmm. But when I spoke to her, I did not feel that she had her guard up. I did not feel that she was performing or being disingenuous. I felt as though I was speaking to Ellen DeGeneres in her home, being honest with me. Kind of, for whatever reason, she felt like she was speaking with somebody that she could be honest with, and she was honest with me. That's how it felt. And she was a, it felt like she was a good person. Right. I understand performers of that caliber can delude people into thinking they're good people. But my impression of Ellen was very good. Mm-hmm. And right now, she is being taken down. The New York Post is writing a new article about her every day. They're talking about who is a suitable replacement for her wow. on her show. Um, all these names are getting thrown around. And of course, the plot has thickened so much because once the microaggressions and the racial uh, sort of discomfort, nah, that's not the right term, the, the culture of fear with racial undertones uh, that the Ellen show was built in and steeped in and no one addressed it for so many years. And then the sexual harassment or assault stuff that is coming out about Kevin Lehman, who's the head writer of the show. Um, all of that is totally unacceptable absolutely and is is not you know is sick and needs to be corrected and uh you know it's good that all that stuff is happening um whether or not ellen knew i mean who can say i think she's kind of fortifying herself behind a, a curtain of ignorance and saying well it all came from the it all came from the producers and it was, it was from there down and she didn't know any of this stuff was going on. So it's two separate issues. One, you've got Ellen being a, a bad person, being mean and not personable or approachable. And then you've got the Ellen show itself being a, a really sick place and toxic place to work. And I'm sure that those two things lend to each other. But in moments like this, where a person has the entire world piling on, and taking them down. I feel that it's important to remember the full picture, which is that Ellen DeGeneres in her 30 plus year career has done so much for gay people, for so many you know, dis- disenfranchised groups, her community outreach, her foundation, Um, think of how many young women who may have been afraid to come out were bolstered by this icon, this cool, hip, hysterically funny, successful role model, um, and who were emboldened to be who they are because of Ellen DeGeneres. There is goodness in that that cannot be ignored. And if this is the end of Ellen DeGeneres, I want us to remember that side too, just as we remember 
the goodness that Lance Armstrong's foundation did uh, to, to give courage to children battling cancer and all of that, despite learning, you know, that he was a pathological liar and a cheater, right? I, I personally think that these disgraced icons of society, uh, we, we write them off, we tear them down, and then we try to forget about them or only remember the bad. And with Ellen DeGeneres, I just want us to remember if this is the end of her, uh, at least in my experience, she's done a lot of good and, and is a good person. So that's my thoughts on that. But dude, I guess that's it for today. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sorry to end on a heavy note, everybody, but, uh, Great. you know, it is what it is. I'm sure I'm biased too, because of, of the fact that she called me, but <laughs> yeah, dude, you got in the flow there, man. They got yeah. you feeling self-conscious. You, you crushed mm-hmm. it. Very strong. Um, well guys, by the time you're listening to this episode, we will have crossed the million, uh, download threshold, which is a big milestone for us, uh, tying oh, yeah. right into our one year anniversary. Sorry that we're, you know, celebrating all these things every week, but we feel very fortunate to have, you know, shared, shared these million downloads with all of you. Um, we appreciate you listening. We love talking to you and hanging out. Um, so, you know, keep downloading the podcast, keep checking out our Instagram our YouTube, um, uh, at oops, the podcast, you can email us your oopses to oops, the podcast at gmail.com. Um, I am at not Julio on Instagram and he is Francis Ellis. Uh, Francis, you got anything else? Nope. That's it. Uh, tune in to the next Alan DeGeneres show. <laughs> <laughs> if there is one. Thanks guys.